Hello, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Joshua Young Podcast. I am extremely excited to have one of the most incredible people that I personally know on the show today, and that is Joni Swords. Welcome to the show, Joni. Thanks for having me, Josh. Welcome. I probably am doing this completely out of selfish obligation for myself to have you on the show because I just really wanted to have a recording in which I thanked you for everything that you've done in my own personal life and am also super jazzed that we get to do a long-form conversation because I know the intelligence that you bring and the heart that you bring to your own life and to your own businesses uh, has been impactful for myself as well as uh, the opportunity to even be able to try and share that with other people. Oh, it just tickles me. Wow, those are kind words. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, for context for people, Joni was the first person who didn't hire me. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I applied for uh, a role at Harper Masson's right when she opened up, and she had the incredible foresight not to hire me at the time but ended up giving me a job years later, about two years after that, and it was one of the most incredible jumping off points of my entire life. She uh, continued to train me into baking and cooking, surrounded me with incredible people, and as I continued to want to grow my own responsibilities, she allowed me to step into other aspects of her business that she let me do, and then when I started my own catering company, she let me operate out of her kitchen and off times, besides her staff, in the basement of her store and really created the foundation of one of the most successful things that I've ever done. So, thank you. Mm -hmm, you're welcome. Um, so I'm curious for you, Joni, as I know you've done multiple different restaurants and have had multiple different venues over the years, um, and I know you've stepped into a new role even in the last few months, but I'm curious even before that, what did the last 12 months look like for you um, as like coronavirus hit? And I would love to kind of know your story of uh, being a restauranteur. How did you navigate these waters? Oh my gosh. Um, it's been a difficult year. So I'll tell you what was happening right before COVID hit. My business was thriving more than it ever had. I felt like I was finally getting systems in place. I had an excellent staff. Um, things were rolling right along. I had come up with a four-year plan to be able to pay off the debt on my building and um, hopefully at that time be able to have a sellable business. So all of my energy had been put into creating systems, making sure that my costs were in line, um, considering what a potential buyer would be looking for and most of all paying down my debt. My goal was to pay off the debt on my building and then sell my business, remain the owner of the building and that would be my retirement to collect rent. Um, then COVID hit and everything came to a screeching halt for a while. Um, instead of aggressively paying down my debt, I put my loan payments on uh, deferment, so nothing was happening there except I was getting more behind. Um, I immediately had to take out a personal loan just to make payroll 
those first few weeks that we were closed. Um, and I think a, a common thought at that time was, oh, we'll just be closed for a few weeks and then everything will be fine. And who would have thought that a year later we would still be dealing with this? Um, so that was my plan that I had. When we had to shut down, um, I really felt like we're gonna, we would be fine because we could resume operations soon after that. What happened instead um, is we reopened and tried to find a different way to do business so I still had a staff of 12, but I could only do takeout and seat 25% of my capacity that I had. Um, it became clear almost immediately that that sort of um, capacity, I, I couldn't sustain that and keep paying for a staff of 12. Um, I did get a PPP loan which was extremely helpful. That's why I'm still in business now. But what happened was a surprise to me. We became busy with takeout, um, but it really didn't work for us. And I know that sounds like I'm whining or like a ridiculous thing. People would come in and say, oh, you're so busy, that's great. But I know you'll understand this because you worked in that kitchen. Um, there's a certain flow that has to happen for things to, to move along. So we were still servicing people who came in to the restaurant, but then we would, out of the blue, get a call for lunch for 20. And it totally messed us up. There wasn't enough room in the kitchen for another person. I also didn't couldn't pay another person. Um, the people who were in the restaurant weren't, weren't getting good fast service like they needed and also the people who were getting takeout I wasn't pleased with the product that was going out because <laughs> you lose all control once it leaves the door um, it we were all working more than we had been before and accomplishing less it was it was frustrating and chaotic but most of all it had nothing to do with what Harper and Madison was about. We sort of had become a fast food restaurant instead of a place that um, was known for its ambiance and its service and uh, the experience that you get when you go there. That was a really long answer to a question. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. That's exactly what I want. <laughs> okay. Did I even answer your question? Eternally. Mm -hmm. okay. Would you say you're still in like the the, um, the midst of the storm right now? A little bit, a little bit, just because of um, still we're limited in seating capacity and um, we're trying to learn how to do a new business basically. As you know, I closed the restaurant portion of the business uh, at the end of August and um, took a few weeks to figure out really what I was supposed to do and how I was going to be able to continue the vision that I had in this different way. Um, I decided to open a patisserie um, instead of a full service restaurant with making food to order. 
I became a bakery and now everything is made ahead of time so it I'm able to do this with a staff of five um, including myself so far <laughs> um, it's a it's a tricky thing because we didn't know how to do this before we don't know how much to make some days we have tons left over and some we have some days we run out um, and it's not like you can just go back and whip up some croissants you know they take hours um, so in that regard we are still in the middle of the storm but I see an end in sight spring is coming we'll be able to have more tables outside um, yeah um, I know that it's amazing how tight the margins already were in a, in a restaurant and to be hit by a reduced seating capacity is literally almost a death blow. So I applaud you for, mm -hmm. I applaud you for continuing to kind of weather through everything and trying to continue to figure out how best you can serve the community. It's incredible. I'm grateful that we're still open every day. I'm grateful that we're still open. Um, I know you've managed and ran other uh, restaurants and your own businesses in the past. Was there any, did this uh, scenario of walking through COVID, did, were you able to pull any um, maybe bits of wisdom from your previous businesses that you've gone through, pivots and changes through? I think so. I think from uh, from everything that I've done in the past, I've learned that you can't stay stuck. And my motto these days is, do some stuff and try really hard because it doesn't all work. Um, and I learned that in my other businesses too. You know, I, I thought I would have a good idea and, and then we would try it and it didn't work. It's like, well, let it go then and try something else. So, yeah, definitely. I have learned that uh, you can't stay stuck. Mm -hmm. I applaud you for trying to go orders. I can see how that would be very difficult for a business who has like curated its uh, brand on creating an atmosphere where people join and commune with one another. Yeah, you know what, Josh? It made me really sad. It made me sad to see what my business was becoming. And I knew that I needed revenue to, to stay open, of course. Mm -hmm. But it was so opposite of everything that we tried to do there that I, I just didn't want to keep doing it that way. Is there any one particular event that you have had to cancel that you miss the most? Mm. I think uh, the farm to table dinner was always my favorite event. And um, you know, there's no way that we could have done that last year, but I'm hoping that we can do it this summer. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, for those of you who don't know, Farm to Table event from Joni Swords is where she blocks off uh, uh, the entire street in front of her house and creates string lights, uh, 
across the entire street and serves multiple course dinners with wine pairings and live music. And it was originally how I kind of got started at Harper and Madison was helping out with those events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think that everyone will be anxious for something like that to to be available to them. Yeah, I I'm really happy that there's some uh, original people in the industry that will still be operating when this does get lifted and all of that suppressed energy comes out because I think it's just going to come right. like a wave. And if you were probably or have never operated and tried to capture that, I feel like you would be stampeded instantly. <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I've always been enamored with how you've operated business. I remember like the first day that you brought me into uh, Harper and Madison, you told me everything matters. And that was kind of a, a motto in which you uh, continue to use and I continue to use in my business that whenever I wanted a higher quality, I just needed to focus more on a single detail and that was going to end up working out. Um, that would work. I'm curious where, for an industry that historically has an extremely high turnover rate, you've been doing this for a very long time. Do you know the exact number? Oh gosh. Well, I guess I started working in restaurants. Let's see. Thir oh man, 34 years ago. That's incredible. That's scary. Yeah, I was a baby. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're a baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so sense. what do you think that you've done differently in your career that has allowed you to create uh, longevity within it oh man um i i like working and i like working hard um but that's a that's a hard question i think without sounding egotistical i didn't ever think i was gonna fail so I, uh, I think that helps going into it like that, like, well, this should work. Um, and then doing really whatever it takes to make it work and paying attention, um, finding a niche that needs to be filled and then doing it. Um, I, I always tell people when they're asking me about owning a small business, basically in the restaurant industry, you need some talent, but it's not rocket science. A lot of it is common sense. You know, it's just like um, you're feeding your family only times a thousand or um, it, it just takes a lot of common sense and paying attention to detail and treating people like you wanna be treated. I think that's one of the most important things I know how I want service to be when I go into a place and I know how I want the food to look and I, I want the silverware to be clean. All of those things, I just do business the way that I want. Um, I, I treat people the way I want to be treated in all, in all aspects of the business. Yeah, I feel that. Uh, I don't think it's egotistical at all. Um, for well maybe it is egotistical but i think it's 
probably necessary to have a blind optimism when trying to pursue your own thing. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So that's how you kind of maybe view the outside of the business and the operations. I've always been incredibly impressed with the staff that you've kept around. Um, it's always been incredible. And I think everyone who's ever gone into your store has been greeted by just the most incredible people. Um, multiple people on this podcast have been from the direct relationships that I've created through um, the space of Harper and Madison. Where, how do you view building a staff that I would say outperforms a majority of others? Well, I agree with you um, about that. I get comments all the time about our staff. Um, when I interview people, well, first of all, I pray people in, and I'm not a super spiritual or religious person, but um, when I started this business, I felt led to do it. Um, I wanted to build a business based on love and use food as a vehicle to love people. So. It, whether it's God or the universe or some other higher power, I just believe that as long as I honor that and uh, don't try to take things too much into my own hands, that it will work out. So I do pray people in there, but also when I interview people, I make sure that they can look me in the eye and smile easily. You know, it's a it's a customer service sort of uh, business, so I like them to to be a bit relaxed because if they're not, they're not going to like that kind of work. Um, a lot of times, I try and find out what their goals are if they have an entrepreneurial spirit or if they have an interest in learning how to be a barista or work in the kitchen. That's always helpful. I most often um, hire people that don't have experience because they don't need experience to learn what we're going to teach them there. I always tell them what the business is about and uh, that's about loving people through food. It sounds so corny and, um, and it is, but I believe strongly in it and it works. It really does. Yeah. Um, that does. Where did that idea originate for you of loving people through food? Um, gosh, I, I really, I really can't remember except that all throughout my career or all about my time in the food service industry, even when I was a server working a few nights a week, I could see how you could impact someone's day. You know, just by, you could tell if they were frazzled and they came in after work and they really needed to be comforted. And it's so easy to do with food and drink. And, uh, you know, um, I felt like I had a knack for reading people and seeing what they wanted and it was very gratifying um, and then um, my last business was mostly it was a um, by appointment only bakery I did mostly wedding cakes 
And that was a really good opportunity to see what people needed and how a calm, gentle environment could impact them. Um, brides are frazzled and stressed and mothers of brides are even more so. But I made sure that when they came in to do a tasting that it was calm and it was quiet and music was good and they could leave feeling totally different than when they came in. And um, so when I decided to open this final business, I did feel led to do it. And I felt that I had an opportunity to um, make a difference in this tiny way. I'm, I know I'm not gonna cure cancer anytime soon. You know, I'm not gonna change the world, but um, I think you can change someone's life by changing a minute of their day. You have no idea what trajectory it's gonna put them on. So, mm -hmm. and it's an honor. Yes, I have always envisioned it this way when doing like very small tasks like maybe I won't cure cancer, but you provide an incredible space by serving a person a cup of coffee and that person now is going to be the person to cure cancer because of the environment yeah. and the trajectory that you put them on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't you just never know. Mm -hmm. What? I'm curious, what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs who would be potentially looking for their first business to start out? Um, I think it's really important to not pretend to know anything that you don't. There's no reason to do that. It's tempting, like when you go into the bank, you want to feel like, you know everything, but there are so many good resources out there. You don't need to know everything. Um, this last business venture that I did, I had zero dollars and I thought I had a good idea. And I was opening a restaurant so that I could send my daughter to college, which makes no sense whatsoever, considering the failure rate of restaurants. But I went into a banker that I didn't know and he looked about 12 years old. And I, I, I thought, is it take your son to work? <laughs> anyway, I, I told him, I think I have a really good idea and I have no money. Can you help me? And he didn't throw me out and he didn't laugh at me. He listened and he helped me get this business started. Um, and I told him up front that I didn't want to pretend to know anything I didn't, and I needed help. And I told that same thing to my contractors and my architects. And once you humbly present your problem and your dilemma, I find that most people are really, really willing to help and they're not going to take advantage. Plus, it makes, uh, it makes you feel at ease not trying to uh, pretend. Yeah. So that's a big one. Um, do some stuff and try really hard. <laughs> yeah. I, I say every... that almost every day now, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I would agree. Uh, the whole humbling yourself in order to actually learn and go quicker is something that I am currently trying to uh, really get the essence of. I, I know when I first got into the business, I thought that everyone looked down on me because I was young. And so I just tried to kind of fake it till I made it. And that worked sometimes. And then it got me into some really <laughs> hairy situations and other times I was way over my head. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm sure we experienced some of the same things. I think back on uh, when someone would ask me, can you do this? And I'd say, yes. And they'd walk out the door and I'd think, oh, man, how am I going to do that? <laughs> Does that sound familiar? Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. It's sometimes hard to gauge um, what you're capable of doing when you have a paying customer in front of you. Right, right. <laughs> I love it. Um I'm curious, what has been influential for you um, in building your business or, you know, interacting with people? Is there anything in particular, like a ritual or a movie or a book that comes to mind that uh, maybe you fall back on when times get difficult and you need a little uh, intrinsic motivation? There is absolutely a favorite book of mine called Setting the Table. It was written by Danny Meyer. Danny Meyer has 11 restaurants in New York City. He has three Michelin star restaurants, I believe. But he wrote a book. Um, and there's this beautiful quote in there. Right in the beginning, he said, from the time, let's see, the first things we need when we're right after we're born are a hug, a smile, eye contact, and food. And people still need those four things. And that's exactly what we do in the restaurant industry. You know, eye contact, a smile, a hug, and some food. It's easy to give those four things. So I think back on that a lot. Um, it's an incredible book. He chronicles his experience, experiences um, creating these 11 restaurants. And I mean, he has everything from a three-star Michelin restaurant to um, a hot dog cart. It's pretty astounding, yeah. And, he's, and he thinks like I do. He treats his employees like I do and his customers. Yeah, I recommend it. I will check it out. You're the second person to recommend that to me. There's a... Yeah. A man that I'll have later on the podcast, and uh, he's starting up a Italian ice franchise business. And I asked him, you know, through correspondence, I'm like, how are you thinking about, like, starting this up? And he's like, oh, this is the book that I've been reading in order to prepare my mind for what I want my first business to look like. Oh, yeah, read it. You'll love it. Super excited. Well, um, that's the kind of the the meaty portions of uh, the show where I have people on and try and hit them with some questions that uh, kind of develops who they are and what they've been up to. But now I have this uh, portion of the show that I call the sweets of the podcast, which is just a little bit more uh -huh. relaxed and fun. And uh, okay. it's a game of overrated and underrated. So <laughs> you can give as much description as you'd possibly like, 
for these topics. And uh, yeah, tell me if you think they're overrated and underrated. Okay. All right, the first one, a gin and tonic. It is a cocktail that has the ingredients gin and tonic. And if you're a good bartender, <laughs> you add some citrus. <laughs> I think uh, gin and tonics are overrated, I gotta say. So I love gin and tonics, especially in the summertime when I come home from work and I can have one on my patio. However, um, I've developed a better gin and tonic. So it's a gin and mostly uh, like a lime sparkling water, just a splash of tonic. And it has to have crushed ice. So I don't know, I think that's underrated and a regular gin and tonic would be overrated, but they definitely have a place in my life. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful answer. <laughs> <laughs> and recipe, how fantastic yeah uh, mm -hmm. all right next william and sonoma is the american company that sells kitchenwares and home furnishings okay um you know i i think i'm gonna go with underrated on this one uh -huh. yeah so i mean if you need a super expensive blender they're the place to go but also, they're making things accessible to people that they wouldn't normally have. I mean, I checked out their website and you can buy uh, Queen Amon, which is a pastry that I'm struggling with making. You can buy that and get them frozen and make them in your own home. Um, and all sorts of uh, fancy croissants and appetizers. For uh, those of us who don't live near a Trader Joe's, I mean, I think it makes total sense. Um, I think they get a bad rap just because they're outrageously expensive, but it's also uh, a feast for the eyes. If you look at one of their catalogs or go into one of their home stores um, or even their website, it's beautiful and it makes you feel fancy even if you don't buy anything. Yeah, it really does. All right, Uber Eats, e-commerce app, that allows you to buy food whenever you're too impaired to go out and get it yourself. <laughs> okay, I think Uber Eats is way overrated and I wish it would go away. Um, none of the food that you get delivered to your door is gonna taste as good. Um, and <laughs> I think it's turning us into lazy people and it's, uh, encouraging us to isolate even more. I mean, come on, we can go get our own french fries, can't we? Or, I, I yeah, I'm giving Uber Eats a big thumbs down. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it is true, you are definitely paying more money for a worse quality product. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, so this one, I'm That's quite curious. Bad. I'm quite curious about this one. It's the Cronut. Okay. Dominic on cells. <laughs> a New York oh, pastryer made famous the Cronut, a mix between a croissant <laughs> and a donut. Okay, first of all, unnecessary. It's overrated. A croissant is perfection. It doesn't need a hole in the middle. And 
deep frying doesn't always make something better. I'd say leave the pork croissant alone. Perfect. And then go go to Krispy Kreme and get a donut. <laughs> I love it. All right. So this <laughs> last one, and uh, you're the first person that will actually have provide their own. Uh, what I would say is the most underrated food movie. So instead of giving you suggestions, as I know pretty much everyone who's in the food industry uh, on their off times watches all of the food movies that come out, whether it's A Hundred Foot Journey or Chocolate or Julia and Julia. I'm curious, what do you think? What movie doesn't get the hype that it deserves? Chocolate, definitely. Chocolate is beautiful in every way. Um, when I had my last bakery, I, I worked a lot of times in the middle of the night. It'd be two in the morning and I'd still have hours to go. And that's back when I had this little TV on a cart and I'm dating myself again, but I had a VCR of Chocolat. And I can't tell you how many times that got me through the night. I would watch that movie and say, I can change lives with chocolate. And I would believe it. By the end of the movie, I would believe it. Um, yeah, I want everyone to see it. Um, plus, you get to hear Johnny Depp have a great accent and wear a French braid, so come on. What's not to love? <laughs> I absolutely yeah. love it. I think you definitely <laughs> have changed many lives with chocolate. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Joni, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for the time and the attention that you provided me, our guests, and everyone that you encounter. Oh, Josh, thanks so much. I miss you. And this was an honor. Thanks. You're welcome. I hope you have... Oh, excuse me. That's not how I want to end the show at all. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's not how I do this. <laughs> what? A... All right. So, two things. One... Uh, where can people find you and like where if people want to get a hold of you if they want to go eat your delicious food where do they do that at they do that uh, in Billings Montana 3115 10th Avenue North we're nestled in a tree-lined residential area and it's lovely it and really if they is. want to um, they can go to our website it's just harperandmadison.com all spelled out Perfect. Yeah. All right. right. Now, uh, last question is you get to ask me a question to end the show, whatever you would like. Oh, um, I, I want to know what you're cooking these days that you love. That I love. Okay. Um, I've been kind of obsessed with chunking meat, um, salting it, letting it rest in the fridge for like 12 hours or so. And then covering it in cornstarch and frying it off so it becomes like the most crispiest bits ever. Oh my gosh, it sounds fantastic. Yup. Yeah. It, it's not, All right. I wouldn't it's say fine. it's fancy, but whether it's on nachos or a salad or whatever else, I find it to be the most lovely dish. Oh, good way to go. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Well, I hope you have a most fantastic rest of your day, Jody. I will. Thanks so much.